0: Welcome back to the glue guys this is mike here say hello, brian. hello. check us
1: out on twitter at bk almighty baller brian the nets are back um did you watch <laughs> any of the festivities mike i was
0: very festive on saturday night i got to say not super festive sunday i only saw bits in pieces pieces and bits of the All-Star Game. Brian, I'm sorry. I apologize to the Nets nation at large. Writ large. I just... Uh, I can't do it, man. Can't do it. No, as much as I love D'Lo, I can't do it. I, You know what, in fact? I think I saw the more important D'Lo performance, which was Saturday night in his moon kimono uh, along with Carl Anthony Towns and fellow All-Stars. Uh, that was a more important performance than
1: Sunday night. That's actually true. And We didn't even talk about this beforehand, but that was sort of going to be my my main takeaway um, from, from, like, cause you know, we, we've, we collectively just kind of talk S about the all-star weekend festivities. <laughs> um, but uh, when you actually have some people in there, it's kind of fun to see them milling about and maybe potentially, you know, pulling someone's elbow, talking to them, you know, about what great kind of things you can just imagine. It's like nice. It's like to, to see everyone in their clicks and like, you know, who are their <laughs> friends and things like that. Um, that kind of, really pathetic, um, vicarious stuff is, is actually kind of a fun thing to, to behold. Um,
0: and I kind of want to say, uh, I want to be the first on the record of all of the Nets prognosticators, the prognosticators, uh, to talk about this is that low key Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Nets trade target, Brian, uh, uh, one, he's from New Jersey, right? I'm pretty sure he's Mm -hmm. from New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, uh he seems super duper close with D'Angelo Russell. They comment on each other's Instagrams all the time, and if that's not friendship, I don't know what is yeah. in the digital age. That is it. Uh they were to, they were joined at the hip all weekend. They were closer together than Gabriel Union was with Dwayne Wade. Um and sort of low key he just signed his max contract. Does he really want to be in Minnesota for the rest of his life? Does it does he we've seen this before, talented big man. Uh Signs a big deal in Minnesota. Garnett probably wanted to stay in Minnesota. That's what we understand. Does Carl Anthony Towns really want to be in Minnesota that whole time? Low-key kind of an interesting trade target for the Nets. Maybe he's one of the next guys in this line of after Anthony Davis gets traded this offseason. Carl Anthony Towns is one of the guys that could be out there potentially in a a deal possibility. Wow. Mike, coming Uh, up um, on the second
1: half of the All-Star, second half of the season, guns blazing. Just guns blazing with the with the hot takes.
0: Um, I've been thinking about this for a while, too, and also I don't really know if I can reveal this yet, but I, I know there is some connection between, let's just say, the Nets coaching staff and Carl Anthony Towns. There was a previous connection um, in some way, some small, maybe insignificant way, but there was a connection.
1: <laughs> Are you hinting <laughs> at something or forgetting it? You know what it is? There's a
0: tiny, it's like, um, I don't want to give a full stamp of approval on this quite yet because I didn't. Research it exactly. Someone told me in the past that there was some connection between Kenny Atkinson and Carlton Towns, and like some weird like I think Carlton Towns is Dominican, and Calipari was coached that team, but then like Atkinson was maybe going to coach the team, and there's some sort of small connection there. I don't know if it's true, um so that's why I'm saying it's a small, minor connection. Um <laughs> between Kenny Atkinson and Toronto Towns, but I will research it yeah. and hopefully Nets Nation Nets Reddit can uh dig in a little deeper. Yeah, I don't know, man. There. I'm just saying, like, so what we need to start thinking about, and we'll talk all about All Star Weekend, Joe Harris's three point competition, fantasticness. We'll talk about the final third of the NBA season, what it means for the Nets. But um we need to think more and more, as we have been all season, about these max free agents and while these max free agents seem like they're maybe not going to come to the Nets, what should the Nets do in that case? And then, like, what's the second wave? What is the next wave of max free agents, Anthony Davis types who want that, who want to be traded out of their contract? Clint Anthony Towns is like to me prime suspect number one. I did just... you,
1: by the way, speaking of Anthony Davis, did you tune in for like the massive piling on of all the TNT people talking, talking about Anthony Davis? They were not; they did not like what what has become of that story.
0: Okay. So what do you, what is your, give us your psychology armchair psychologist impression of Anthony Davis. How do you think he's handled all this? And how do you think, why do you think it's kind of played out the way it is considering who you think Anthony Davis is as a person? Cause I have a theory, of course.
1: (laughs) I mean, I wish I had more of a window into Anthony Davis's soul than, than I currently have because (laughs) um, he's, from my perspective the pelicans are as far out of my purview as as a basketball team can probably get um so i don't i don't have any special insight into what makes that dude tick i mean i would love to hear it if you do
0: so what i think is that anthony davis is a good guy and a nice guy and probably slightly impressionable Mm -hmm. and his agent you're giving him the dwight
1: howard treatment is that what it is
0: not quite Dwight Howard, but there's elements of Dwight Howard. So,
1: like, not impressionable in that he's, like, got, like, a child brain. It's, like, you know, a different kind of impressionable.
0: Just that, like, everyone has said this about Rich Paul, that Rich Paul's engineered this thing. And most people think that Rich Paul's engineered this thing completely incorrectly. The fact that he, you know, t- uh, gave Woj this information that Anthony Davis requested a trade, let it ha- come out on a Monday to start sort of this big news cycle, which – and also – The Saints were like this close to getting into the Super Bowl, which if Rich Paul had done that while the Saints were going into the Super Bowl, which is when it was happening, it would have been – I think it would have been – it was Super Bowl week. Yeah, it was Super Bowl week. If he had did that while the Saints were in the Super Bowl, maybe the Pelicans could have made a deal because ownership, who of course they also own the Saints, wouldn't have cared that much about Anthony Davis at that point. They would have only have cared about the Saints. But what happened was ownership, the Saints season was over. And they could focus completely and solely on Anthony Davis. I just think, like, I know for a fact Anthony Davis seems like a good guy. This is not a fact, but it seems like he's a good guy. It seems like he is considerate. and But he didn't really think about what would happen if this failed trade request, if it didn't go through within those two weeks that the team had to trade him. Right? Like, he didn't consider that. So what's happening is he's playing in front of a home crowd that's booing him at times. He then had that weird injury during the game that he just left the stadium. The Thursday before the All-Star break, the national TV game, he gets an injury to, I think, his shoulder, leaves the stadium, and which is a, a very unusual move unless you have a very serious injury, which he didn't because he played in the All-Star game. Um, and then he says all 29 teams are being considered. Someone told him in between the Lakers being the main team to now all 29 teams being considered. Someone told him to act like you are open to the rest of the league. Well, if all 29 teams are actually being considered, why then even uh, why request Detroit out of the Pelicans? Because if the whole idea behind this is that he wants to burnish his legacy. Well, that, well all 29 teams could not be then considered if you want to burnish your legacy, right? What does because- burnish mean? What does that um, to solidify to sort of create and to is a real word, burnish burnish, yes, <laughs> uh, you burnish your legacy i don 't know any other way, and there 's like there 's no other time anyone ever uses the term burnish to polish. besides yeah to burnish is that what it says to make
1: smooth or shiny by rubbing
0: right to to dig in deep and to make it make it as the way you want it to solidify your legacy Shoot. i don 't know man, what I think is honestly that. People want to rag on him a ton for how this is all being handled. There's a million different ways it could have been handled differently. I just think that he is probably likely actually a good dude who is probably also um, affected by the way people view him. Not in the way that Dwight Howard is, but more in that, like, he, he actually does sort of care about the fan base. But in the end, it like, he just he didn't think through what would happen if he didn't get traded within those two weeks. That um, wasn't a thought in his head.
1: The, the, like the, the core thing that they were targeting with like Kenny Smith, the Kenny Smith crowd and Kevin Garnett um, crew, mm-hmm. like the things that they disliked most about his, um, various press, uh, interactions were, was that he kept referring to like himself instead of the, the, we, that people, I guess like players are kind of trained to do in the media. And they thought that that was evidence of like, like true selfishness that was underlying everything, uh, which is a great, a great thing to extrapolate from like a pretty small sample of, of just like conversational speech. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, do you know what I? I mean, so no one wants him to go to the Lakers, right? Like, realistically, no one, no one wants LeBron to sort of get the guy that he really wants. I do, though. I kind of. I mean, one, I don't want him to go to Boston because that's the other, the other alternative. Like, do we really want to see Boston to have turned? the remains the Garnett Pierce trade into
1: Anthony Davis. Are those like, the only like really the only two actual suitors? Like can't can't Houston be dumb and throw something at them or let's send, <laughs> let's and, uh, and trade Chris yeah, Paul back like to Chris New Orleans <laughs> <past>. yeah, yeah, <laughs> which would
0: be phenomenal then David Stern rises from his non-grave yeah. from his house in Boca, which I imagine he has to live in Boca. Yeah. That's just where David Stern's living these days. Um
1: like, Houston's yeah, so, inability to get over the hump meme-ness is, is just a perfect landing spot for any big name, you know, at this point. So, but, like, that—but
0: it really is—I mean, it could be the Knicks if they get the number one pick, right? Like, so—which, which obviously, I don't want to see. No one wants the Knicks to be good. Um,
1: well, I mean, the, does Anthony Davis plus nobody except for—I mean, if they get the number one pick, if it's Zion, I get, does that instantly make them good? I don't know. What do you mean? Trading— However many players you would need to trade in order to get Anthony Davis, I'm assuming, you know, most of you're hollowing out most of what's a pretty like I, oh, I mean, barren roster at this a point, pretty barren roster. There's like, I mean, Kevin Knox is for better or worse. And Dunn Smith, uh,
0: <laughs> or like Kevin Knox, uh, rising star, yeah. uh, selection, please. Yeah.
1: Uh, did you watch the dunk contest stuff too? Yes, that's graphic uh to baby. People got to give them those dudes more credit cuz that's like the most stressful situation I think I could I could ever imagine being in. Like you're being judged on something so weird and difficult to like like you're going in ice cold to like stir up a frenzy with your dunking ability. If you're if you're a guy like I I always think of like Mason Plumley in that in that <laughs> thing who's like <laughs> he knows he's just barely made it. He's not good enough to like really do anything interesting like what like that the amount I wouldn't sleep for a month before I found, if I found out I was in that thing well, um, and and it's yeah. like sort of,
0: I mean, this isn't a perfect comparison, but it's like trying to be a rock musician now. Like we have had rock. Like we have consumed mm. rock for eighty years. We've sort of gone through all these like great iterations. There's been the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and whoever whatever you want to throw in there. And now it's like these the guys in the dunk contest. We have seen twenty years of dunk contest, and we have seen Jordan and Vince Carter and Dominique, and like we've seen the greats. So you're just trying to come in and find a different, you know, set of <laughs> notes that's just like perfect. Yeah. I mean, Dia- I mean, I'm gonna say Diallo's dunk was top three all time. It was good, top three all my, time.
1: My actually top, my, my number one dunk of all time, I think, was the John Collins over the paper airplane dunk. Um, <laughs> it was just so, the entire comedy it of was the, was the moment. Such a perfect like because. Catastrophe, like it's so because like you've brought out this prop that's so on the fringe of what is relevant to anything that's going on here. It's like so just like it's like Wikipedia. What about North Carolina <laughs> things? Things that North Carolina <laughs> is known for. Or right, the like the Wright brothers in flight. What can we do? How can we? Then he puts on. It's like it's so perfect. Everything and then on top of it, he breaks the thing, which is like just it's just too good. It's just like such a good situation for for really underwhelming dunk um he 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 had you made the decision what twice two different times within
0: the setup to the dunk whether to wear the goggles mm-hmm. which which added to the moment the scarf i think everyone should be wearing a scarf as they dunk that is phenomenal <laughs> yeah. the but the worst i mean the worst moment of the entire weekend for me was dennis smith trying to dunk over Dwayne wade the it i felt bad for Dwayne wade during that entire scenario that Dennis Smith couldn't pull off the dunk and he just had Dwayne Wade, one of the greats of his generation, has to just stand there for you know what, what felt like ten minutes to let this kid dunk over his head multiple times I know. and miss the dunk multiple times. Brutal. It was, brutal. It's it's hasn't, brutal.
1: Doesn't like Dwayne at that point if I'm Dwayne Wade, I just like say no. I <laughs> just say no, like go find somebody else. I'm sorry. Can't well, do and, it.
0: And I know like all these things <clears throat> are orchestrated to have done that after this Shaq dunk. I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I don't, I feel like this, the Shaq dunk and elbow in the bucket isn't getting like nearly enough love. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was, that was combining Vince Carter, two of Vince Carter's great dunks, which was dunking over. What was it? Frederick vice in the, in the Mm -hmm. Olympics and then dunking in the all-star game with shoving his hand through, you know, the hoop. Those are two of the great dunks of all time. One in game, one out of game, one in a contest and Diallo did them both in one dunk. Yes, he slightly propped up himself, you know, against Shaq's shoulder but it was like a slight prop. It wasn't even it wasn't as aggressive as he, he even could have been. He dunked over Shaquille O'Neal and then shoved his elbow through a hoop. I, I mean, I was blown away by it. Um
1: I just I just think for a future killer comparison, we have to cook up some <laughs> way excited. to like paper mache models of things for for john collins to dunk over in each city <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> like a giant apple or hot dog or something for new york <laughs> you know, like, um uh,
0: yeah what did you make of uh, joe harris of course another net wins another
1: competition on all-star weekend um, i could watch joe harris um systematically dab everyone like in a, in a line for for hours, I feel like that, that's what <laughs> I spent most of the time keying in on. It's just that 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 like the way that he shoots a three, the mechanics of that he brought to the dab. That it's the same exact, <laughs> and and what's really nice about it is that he has a lot of um, like cheek to their shoulder contact. There's like a, it's like a pretty sensitive <laughs> – in, <the, laughs> in the grand scheme of dads, it's a pretty sensitive one. Um, so, yeah, I, that's my, that was my dab, big takeaway.
0: It's a dad that really wants to be a hug. Yeah. But he, he knows he's not there emotionally with any of the, any yeah. of the people on the floor mm-hmm. and, and knows he would be ridiculed, but he he wants to hug. It's very it slow. Together. It's a
1: slow, sensitive – yeah, it's great. great dad. I don't
0: know. Did you see the video of – I guess Joe Harris was in the bowels of the stadium doing an interview – and Steph Curry walks by sort of booing him jokingly after he won, mm-hmm. after Joe Harris won. And as you're describing, I mean, Joe Harris goes in for like a pretty uh, heartfelt handshake to Steph Curry and be like, I thought we were going to go to overtime, like trying to make Steph feel better about losing, you know, of course, on his home floor, well, mm-hmm. sort of his home floor um, in Charlotte. Uh, Joe Harris's moment. I mean, did you see the video of Ronda House Jefferson celebrating I did.
1: That that did. That's like that's that's why he's, he's here, you know, for Mariners. That's like the most heartwarming stuff is is just watching uh that dude's enthusiasm for other people. Um so yeah, I mean, that's a, I mean, we could probably talk about this, but the RHJ situation is going to going to hit ahead here soon. He feels he feels so intimately interwoven into this team on an emotional level, on the chemistry level, um but is is truly struggling on the other side.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be I still feel like I keep waving back and forth on this like I know this doesn't this conversation's not like super um, you know, needed right now. Uh but I still feel like now that he is going to come back to this team just because he's not going to be super valued anywhere else. The only other teams that would value him are to bring in a guy who like him who can bring good vibes. Like he's even though he's so young, he is becoming a guy that you would bring in just purely
1: because he's a good person. The thing, though, is like I don't even think like I think part of his emotional chemistry or make- makeup is that he would not be that in- similarly enthusiastic on a different situation. I feel like he would feel slighted after the first trade and it would make him like a different person. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I know. I know. It. it that's what was, I think Sean Marks was really <laughs> dealing with. I'm sure there were deals he could have made. So like we know but Zach Lowe reported and now more people have reported that there was a potential for the discussion between the Grizzlies that the Nets would give up Alan Crabb and Denver's first round pick and give it, send it over to the, to the Grizzlies for like, I think like it was two rotational players like Garrett Temple and Jamichael Green, you know, and, and the way it was reported by Zach Lowe, he said it within a podcast. It was sort of like, it was, you couldn't tell which side was discussing it, right? Was it. Memphis who was putting that out there or were the Nets who were putting it out there. You couldn't really tell. I just think Marks was sta- sitting there at the deadline really thinking like, if w- if I rip away any of these pieces, any of these players from this team, besides Kenneth Freed was the one guy that he could do that to, it would kind of ruin the chemistry of this team and it would, it would ruin what we've created so far because the special sauce for the Nets is obviously this like, You know, this unique sort of chemistry that all these guys have. Mm. Like, people, I mean, you just even go to teams that are really good. Golden State Warriors, the Boston Celtics, the Lakers aren't that good. But, like, you just look around the league. Look at the teams that seem actually happy. If you had the happiness rankings, the power happiness rankings, the Nets would be number one. Mm. The Kings would maybe be number two. It's like they're young, dumb, (laughs) and, like, just, like, ascendant at the right time. And if they had traded, let's say, like, Rondé, Namari-Carroll for Nikola Miritich, I think that sets you off more than, like, it makes you better in any scenario.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's I the over overachieving quotient, right? Like, that's a huge – that's got to be a huge predictor of, of fun having, you know?
0: Well, and, and that's, like, the big takeaway. I think you talked about this earlier, but it's, like, the big takeaway of the All-Star Weekend is that <clears throat> this team – they had four representatives there this weekend – they were a unit. They were all celebrating each other while they were there. I mean, D'Lo very, like, publicly celebrating during Saturday night. Um, and then if you went all, all their Instagrams during, throughout, they were all congratulating each other. Um, like, the Nets were, like, the big good vibes winner of the entire weekend. We're mm-hmm. like, you had all these, like, weird – you had all these, like, horrible sort of team-damaging conversations. was, like, LeBron hates all the young guys. And Anthony Davis – hates his team and there's all these sort of like weird disparate parts out there in this all-star game all these guys are going to be free agents we're on team lebron but like the the sort of the happiness the nancy myers movie of the the all-star weekend
1: we're the nets you know
0: everyone was happy for each other
1: and like it all worked out in the end and having spencer dinwiddie along too it just it just seemed like Um, they're like just positioning themselves to be like the beacon of fun and like functionality, you know, um, they're like the functioning family in the, in the group that everyone wants to be a part of. Um, Um, yeah, which is weird, which is weird to say, having been so dysfunctional for so long.
0: Final question for you from all-star weekend. Should Sean Marks be fired for, for trading Hamadou Diallo? Um, sure. Okay. Um, Okay, first, let's go to a a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll be back talking about the final third of the net season.
1: Wow. Hey, Mike. Yes. (laughs) We got an email. (laughs) Tell me. Well, so there's just the one that I wanted to get to. I'm not going to do too many just because that's not the kind of show that we're doing today. But this is true boy Lou Estevez, and he's a special kind of he needs special attention because he's a special guy, and uh, so he wrote in, and, and I will never begrudge anyone that wants to write in a follow up email proclaiming how correct they were about emails from years past. That's the kind of th- <laughs> that's the exact kind of thing that I would do, and Lou has done it here for us today, and uh, I can appreciate that kind of thing. So he quoted himself from an, an email in October twelfth, twenty sixteen. He says, "In a related but more serious question, the Nets seem to have a habit of picking up fringe reclamation project players." that turn their careers around, from Gerald Green to Livingston to Blatch, and most recently Kilpatrick, which, we, we, you know, Lee may yeah. missed that one. Do you, guys <laughs> someone, uh, do you guys see someone like that this year? I think most would say Bennett, but though he seems to have interesting physical tools, he doesn't seem to put it together. I think Joe Harris is making a strong case to be someone like that, maybe even a poor man's Kyle Corver eventually. What do you guys think about this? Have I just fallen in love with some early preseason success, or do you think it will translate into the regular season? Um, so also like Lou, like also like me, Lou makes a lot of, he, he writes a lot of long emails and makes a lot of claims. So his like ratio, it's hard to know exactly how much of his right, <laughs> which is right and wrong. But, um, so always important to key in on when you're right. And, and you got, heck Lou, you, you freaking got it, man. I mean, Joe Harris is the guy. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to do that cause that's always fun. And any, any time you I, guys,
0: can I just point out for a sec, Brian, yeah. it seemed like in that email, I'm not seeing it in front of me. I'm just re- listening to you as you say it. Um, he also credits, talk about Anthony Bennett, right? That's
1: the other, well, he says he doesn't think Anthony Bennett can oh, put okay. it together. Okay. Okay. So good. He covers no his, one he covers his, but that could, I'd have to go back and read the original email though, in case he's just covering his butt. <laughs>
0: could you please, do, yeah. I want you to dig through the 10,000 yeah. emails we have. Yeah. The. <laughs> I do. Rem- let's 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 do rewind machine here right now. Uh, Anthony Bennett. I don't think there was a moment when anyone liked him. Right. There were there wasn't a moment when he actually was playing basketball that it looked like he was going to do something. Like I, yeah. I remember that vividly. I remember being excited that he was on the team and then watching him play basketball. Just I think you immediately said there's no chance. There's like, there's like, <laughs> no, I mean, I,
1: I, I get excited about that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I mean, just like in my mind's eye, replaying watching Anthony better play basketball is a sad, slow, uncomfortable business, you know?
0: I was excited about Nick Stauskas. I was pretty fired up about that. I mean, Julio Okafor was an interesting guy to play with. And now, he, obviously, Jaleel's like actually got to play pretty well
1: for the Pelicans. Um, I'm trying to think about guys that I watched that, like, I was actually excited about that did not you know like he like Bennett falls into the uh Chris McCullough like brand of like what is anybody seeing in these people he, like right, that's right, like, exactly <laughs> of totally dejected not interested players like from the jump um yeah Chris he's, McCullough's he's just like, catatonic I feel like they get like narcolepsy or something
0: he's just like waiting for he's waiting for someone to tell him to start playing basketball and it didn't happen yeah he was just like mm, I'm just gonna keep kind of floating by and seeing what happens right um so real quick I want to kind of hit a couple of of the big questions heading into the Nets' final third of the season. Okay, and I just want to sort of lay the table out a bit. So we've kind of talked about this before, but the Nets continue to have one of the hardest schedules in the NBA. Tankathon says it's the third toughest schedule in the NBA for the rest of the season. And really what sort of defines that is the fact that they're not really playing anyone who's tanking for the rest of the year. They only have two games against obvious tanking teams, Hawks and the Cavs. The Nets <laughs> barely beat the Cavs. Do they
1: account for like... Not necessarily the win percentages of the teams that they're playing against, but like, do, do, does that control for travel days and things like that? When they say difficulty of schedule,
0: no, I think it's only strength of schedule. It's in terms just of the percentage. win percentage of
1: the game. Yeah, okay. So like, I feel like because we've played a lot more games than most teams, so um, like, I, I think in a in a true percentage or whatever that is, uh, true metric, you would like have to factor in travel days and days off and things like that. Um so, so we'll I, we'll do a true percentage next time.
0: But the one thing sort of sitting in the middle of all of this is that they have I think the Nets have like a seven west coast seven game west coast swing. Right. At some point, like uh, mid March or whatever it is, uh during <clears throat> conference championship times or whatever it is in college basketball and some concerts or whatever happens at Barclays. So
1: it's the circus, Barnum and Bailey, come on. It's the circus so road that,
0: trip. Circus road trip, of course. So that's bad. That's not good. Um they Actually, I think they have some more back-to-backs coming up, if that actually happens. I'm not sure exactly. But they only have the two games against tanking teams, which are... Hawks are pretty good for a tanking team. The Cavs, again, triple overtime. That would have been... but We never talked about this because we didn't pot afterwards, but that triple overtime game, I was watching with my mom and my, my wife, and my wife was expecting me to do some things <clears throat> like to help with the family Mm. and I wasn't able to, because I was watching this game and I had to, and I said, I would, I would do things after the game was over. Um, that would have been pretty embarrassing if, if the Nets had, had lost that game had gone, you know, into the all-star break losing whatever it would have been in a row, at least three in a row at that point. But, uh, they
1: should have lost that game like five times. It it was not like they had no business winning it. And that's, and that's the real, isn't that the real barometer for a winning team? Like, (laughs) <laughs> isn't that what when they it, say it,
0: remember when it used to be that they would lose every game but yeah, yeah. so I do have a question for you and I'm kind of springing this on you but I want to mm-hmm. get your take on it okay <clears throat> okay so Karis Levert is back um, D'Angelo Russell is an all-star Spencer Dinwiddie is coming back you know two weeks from now let's just say mm-hmm. uh, we don't know for sure but like I don't know if you saw him. you probably saw his hand during all-star weekend it was lightly taped Mm -hmm. which is worse than non-taped, but better than a cast or a brace, of course. So we have those three guys that are predominantly ball handlers on the team. They are focal points of offenses when they're on the floor. I'm going to ask you, rank them in importance to the future of the team. Wow. D'Angelo Russell, Karis Levert, and Spencer Dinwiddie.
1: It's really interesting because it's for me. It's sort of like a rock, paper, scissors. You know, they they although seemingly very similar, they represent very different things and and kind of bring uh, those like that that big nebulous, intangible like pile. Like they, they bring very different things. Like I I think that we've really missed Spencer Dinwiddie's um like confidence and uh like ability to like pull you back into a game that you like you really are sort of like everyone's everyone feels dejected and feel ready to give up. And here comes Spencer didn't what he just like galloping into four threes in a row. Um, that is, is definitely missing. And, and something that like, you know, D'Angelo Russell has been able to recreate to a certain extent. Um, but it works a lot better when you have, when you have the real deal, um, doing it's like in, in smaller doses, which, you know, D'Angelo Russell has a lot, whole lot more responsibility and just in general than, than kind of doing that. Um, So, like, in terms of important, obviously, like, D'Angelo Russell's trajectory right now is uh, pretty serious, you know? I think he's playing his way into that next very large, very meaningful contract, uh, and he would be totally... I mean, I I don't know, are we close to having that conversation about whether we max out D'Angelo Russell at this point? Like, that doesn't seem crazy anymore. Um, Well, so it's almost like, do, do the Nets accept...
0: Do the So someone is going – it seems likely someone is going to max out D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. Now, now I want to do this research and, and dig in deep. I want to look at – so the likely candidates would be like an Orlando or Phoenix or – I mean, I guess the Clippers could decide we're going to wade back into the sort of the D'Angelo Russell waters. He was obviously playing for the Lakers in L.A., but we're going to grab him back to L.A. There are teams out there who have cap space. I don't actually think, though, that, like, the Magic have cap space. So they they don't necessarily make sense. Phoenix has to have cap space, right, because they don't have anyone on that roster besides Devin Booker and a bunch of young dudes. Um, we all know that that makes a ton of sense because him and Devin Booker are super-duper tight, and you put them two in the backcourt together, you actually then have something. So, yeah, so, like, is the question is, like, there's two questions. Is anyone going to max him? out is anyone going to give him a max contract and
1: then do the nets accept um i mean my my money's on yes at this point <laughs> like it doesn't uh, of all the young players that seem like super ripe to to break out in ways eerily reminiscent of of true james harden like <clears throat> what what d'angelo russell has played into over the course of this season is like a potentially transcendent player like i you know we've talked about it for a long time <clears throat> and it's just like kind of happening now um in my eye so well, and, yeah. and it's funny like we i,
0: I know distinctly i remember like f- f- three weeks ago we did a podcast and we were talking about what d'angelo russell could get and it was like a victor olodipo deal which is about 20 million a year for four years something like that now i don't think a max contract is all that far off in terms of what deal is going to make he's not making the the 45 million dollar at the end of your contract type thing that like john wall has he right that's a different max But D'Angelo Russell, I think, would get something like 25 escalating up to 32, whatever it would be at the end of it. The Nets, I think, could offer more money even though he's a restricted free agent. Um, Him being a restricted free agent is good for the Nets, of course, that they can control what happens at the situation. But if what is going to happen is that the big guys like Kevin Durant, Chris Middleton, Kyrie Irving, all those players are going to – maybe they don't decide on – You know, at 9 p.m. West Coast time, they decide a couple days into it, that's going to drag out whether the Nets have cap space or not. And if another team offers, Um, like, I almost think the Nets, the Nets are going to match, right? Like, almost any scenario. And I think it is smart for the Nets to, and I think Sean Marks has sort of already said this out publicly, even though he probably can't and didn't exactly the way I'm describing it, but it's smart for the Nets to indicate to everyone that they're going to match any offer, right? Like it's they need to put out there that like the there there's no point in offering D'Angelo Russell um any kind of offer sheet because we're only going to tie up your cap space if you guys do that. You guys are going to miss out on other free agents if you offer our player a max because we'll just wait the 72 hour period as much as we can wait to tie up your cap space. Cause ours, if we're not going to get Kevin Durant, ours doesn't matter as much in terms of having <clears> that <throat> cap space immediately. Um, mm-hmm. I'm,
1: but do you, but do you want D Do you want D for yeah. whatever the number? Yeah. is? I mean, I do now, like I just <laughs> like I do. I like, <clears throat> I like, um, I like every bit about it, you know. And and I was talking, or I was we were reading through the Twitter and your boy Eve Darboos is is now like people are so high on what this team has become that they're like, well, we're looking at a 30-year-old Kevin Durant signed to, you know, a 5-year deal. Like I'm not so sure about this. Yeah, I <laughs> like, love I love that. <laughs> um which like, <clears throat> you know, it's easy to it's easy to say that that's like a completely insane take. Um, but there is a little bit in there that's, you know, that goes beyond just like you obviously get Kevin Durant if he's available, but, um, you know, the, harnessing the specialness of the situation, it's like we, you can go in any direction, but the, uh, one of like, uh, of that kind of dynastic, um, warriors esque that version of it is the one where you resign, D'Angelo Russell and continue to nurture your players into what, like wherever their ceiling is in your mind, which um, it's very possible that we have not seen the ceilings of, of Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Levert or, or, like come very close to them at all. Uh So, and if, and if you're the, the people that are responsible for nurturing that talent and that's what you believe, like I, at this point, based on what I've seen here, like I'm with you, you know, I, 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 I will take your, your version of that bet, uh like now with this evidence in hand. Um so yeah well and it's also like okay
0: the only person that you maybe consider not giving the deal of the max for in terms of like the nets giving d'angelo russell the max and then saying we're going to keep you the only person that maybe you give that up for is Kyrie irving yes you would want because because you could give d'angelo russell the max and still get kevin durant that's not impossible the nets have a very favorable cap sheet they would have to get rid of Alan Crabb's contract. They can do that. That's not impossible. He has one year left at 18.5. They can get rid of Alan Crabb's contract. Then they can sign. like So the, there's an argument out there that like the Nets cannot give D'Angelo Russell the max because then they could not get Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant, even if those guys are going to come. Well, they don't. I mean, that's not a just they can get rid of. Allen Crabb they'd have to give up something which would be draft picks but if you're gonna then get Kevin Durant who cares like who cares what draft picks you give up to get rid of Alan Crabb to then get Kevin Durant by the way I did look this up we were talking about the Suns because the Suns are the biggest threat they're the biggest sort of looming threat to give D'Angelo Russell the max because they just make a whole lot of sense they made that trade for Tyler Johnson um, Nets former Nets restricted free agent signee almost signee um he's consuming a good chunk of their cap sean marks again through one of his bad contracts may actually be helping out the nets in their current contract situation Mm. um but i think it's so like kind of go back to my original point my question about level of importance if we had this conversation six weeks ago we would definitively say that caris lavert is the most important right that he was he was the brightest young star on this team that injury really sucked but, like, he is the guy that is going to carry this team going forward. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie's been consistent all year in terms of what he's produced off the bench. He's been phenomenal. And there were times earlier this year when we are like, I don't know about D'Lo. Now it seems, just because recency bias, that D'Angelo Russell, you know, I almost want to remove the contract situation from him. Because he, we as Nets followers and Nets fans should reconsider how we're viewing D'Angelo Russell as we're talking about right now, the consideration should be D'Angelo Russell <laughs> will be a net. Like, he is a part of this team. There's almost no question. The only way he's not is if it's Kyrie and Kevin Durant, right? Like, that's the only way that D'Angelo Russell is not a part of this team next year. It's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, unless if there's some, like, insidious background... Story that we don't know about yet—that maybe D'Lo is not as good of a guy as we all believe. Even though everything we're hearing from directly from Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson is that D'Angelo Russell is a hard worker who likes to be coached hard, and he's a foundational piece on this team. That's everything that we've heard from the team.
1: Yeah, Um, well, and to answer your question, like in a different way, um, like just in terms of the way that we play you know, what our system is and how, how like our offense operates, um, D'Angelo Russell's version of like his, his weaponry is the best weaponry. Right. And it's just like, is, um, if that's operating at the highest level, that's the most valuable piece. So, um, you know, because like, he's a like flick of the wrist, streaky three point shooter of the Steph Curry ilk, you know, in, in certain situations and that we've, kind of discovered is sort of a nuclear bomb in basketball, right? If you can have a player that's doing that and shooting, you know, really far deep threes at a, at a, you know, unconsciously high tick um, that opens up a whole world of possibilities offensively. And, um, and we're, you know, playing that, that Maury ball, that money ball style. And if it works, if, if his version of it like works at at the highest, at the highest level, um, it's by far the most valuable part of our, of our team. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but so the there is, there's one thing that will and it will always separate D'Angelo Russell from being like a very good fringe all-star scorer to being an elite scorer, and I don't know how you fix this, but it's his free throw attempts. It's like that. I think I heard on I forget what podcast it was. Maybe it was Kevin O'Connor saying on the Ringer that D'Angelo Russell has the fewest amount of free throw attempts a game for any guy who has a, a as high of a usage rate as he has, and as high of a scoring average that he has. Basically, like, D'Angelo Russell is one of the greatest scorers of all time for not, in terms of of all the guys who don't get to the free throw line. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he is so efficient from three-point range, from mid-range, from getting to the hoop, but yet still doesn't get to the free throw line because actually doesn't I really think get this to the... is
1: actually fairly in line with my previous point like <clears throat> i'm just looking at steph curry's free throw attempts especially at that age that he so look at look at the age comparison here when steph curry was 23 years old he was averaging uh 1.8 free throw attempts a game and let's look at d'angelo russell's he's he is... 22 and he's at 2.3 you know, so like and and Steph Curry now, even in his the years where he's averaging his highest, it's only his highest year is 5.9 and this year it's 4.7. So like that, like again, this is like a, you know, an artillery player, you know, um, I don't think we necessarily need for his free throw attempts to go up. Like if he's just becomes like a kind of stationary bombing threat, you know. Which is what I think is the best kind of application. I mean, not like only, obviously, but like you know, if we're sort of isolating the 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 major skill here, like in the way that we can do for Steph Curry, then that would be it. Um, So, like again, yeah, totally. If you if you want to make the comparison of like of James Harden, obviously, that's like the main missing key ingredient, and that's what's missing from like every other player because he's like kind of um, uh, statistically on an island there. Um, But I don't. I really just think it's like a couple more years of maturation until he's, like, you know, getting up into the taking eight three-point attempts a game or ten three-point attempts a game the way that Steph Curry is.
0: I'm really enjoying this, like, this rise of D'Lo has been so enjoyable because it's twinned with the sort of decline of this mini Lakers. I mean, it's not a dynasty, but, like, the belief around Magic Johnson, Rob Palenka, and the Lakers or that, like, okay, they get rid of Bad actor D'Lo, send him away with Timothy Moskov to Brooklyn, clears the way for Lonzo Ball to, Lonzo Ball, assume the point guard throne. that is what it means to be a Lakers point guard. Brandon Ingram, at the beginning of this season, Brandon Ingram's my favorite to make fun of now, but like, at the beginning of this season, every prominent basketball writer was talking about how Brandon Ingram is like the secret sauce of the Lakers, that he was mini Kevin Durant. That was Every guy was saying that. Because it what must have happened, and I imagine this is what happened. Magic Johnson pulled a bunch of writers aside and said, "You know what? You guys are talking too much about LeBron. You guys should talk about Brandon Ingram. He's this good. He's great." He probably told each of them individually. He probably had this charm campaign on about Brandon Ingram. All of this Lakers badness is happening while you know the castaway, the sort of the symbol of this Nets Renaissance, is happening, is having All Star season at the age of twenty two. Twenty. What is he? Twenty six point six and four rebounds a game, or whatever it is. So, I just like it is so enjoyable that you know I'm a storylines guy, Brian. You know mm-hmm. I love it mm-hmm. that this storyline is developing <laughs> while a separate storyline that is intertwined with this current one, the Nets storyline and the Lakers storyline, is happening at the same time, doubly reaffirming how it feels right now to be a Nets fan. Right? Like if this is. The Nets have done smart, mature growth, as opposed to quick fixes. And the Lakers had previously tried to do smart, mature growth and couldn't quite do it. Got LeBron, can't fault them there. And then then signed Beasley, Rondo, Javale McGee. Like, signed all these guys who ultimately are not going to have any. They're a blip in the like the history of the you Lakers. Know,
1: beyond being a blip, they're living memes. It's it's like an unbelievable cast of of basketball like castaways it's unbelievable that they put all those guys together on the same team um
0: I am very interested to see when Spencer Dinwiddie he comes back obviously they need him back as you were saying like there is there is a key element missing even though Levert is slowly you know sort of working his way back in figuring out exactly how he's fitting in with now the new D'Lo dominant sort of player that he is Dinwiddie is just like just let him go you know it's just like put him in the second unit yeah didn't want to go you
1: can put on any literally any team in the league and you do exactly the same thing and it'd be great for everybody
0: and we are we've talked about this but his contract is already seeming like a steal like the the fact that they got him at 10 10 million a year 11 mm-hmm. and then 12 or whatever it is is it's going to look amazing basically it's it, like at the end of that contract i mean it's a player option so maybe let's just say next year or two years from now and it's going to look continually great yeah. um, that's basically it so the Nets have the third toughest schedule for the rest of the year the Hornets have like the second toughest the Hornets are one of the teams the Nets are competing with for you know whatever playoff spot we're trying to talk about now um, the Nets are three games above the Hornets in terms of wins um, and the Hornets would are the seventh seed the Nets are the sixth seed
1: um you said Dinwiddie you know, was a week away. What's that? You said Dinwiddie was a week away from coming get, uh coming back.
0: That's just that's just a, that's just doing math in terms of like when they, how long they said he would be out for me extrapolating the fact that he only had a small bandage <coughs> on his hand as opposed to a big bandage. That's just my you know my that's as a dentist. Pure science. I get it. Yeah. So yeah. pure science. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, like knowing the Nets, he's probably like two weeks away. Maybe maybe longer than that, but. There's been plenty of guys, like, we ran through this when he got injured initially. His injury is, like, roughly a five-week injury. You know, it it could go to four, it could go to six. It just sort of depends on the player. Yeah.
1: All right. Get Uh, us out of here, Mike.
0: So, we will be in your ear soon. The first game the Nets have coming back, it's against the Trail Blazers. Um, This is it. I mean, this is a third. It's just... It's almost actually... It's like a third. We're just going to be talking about
1: jostling for position for the playoffs from here on. That's that's going to be. Isn't it going to be so nice to really be talking, digging into like which matchup is best for the Nets in the first round? I mean, come on. I
0: I keep teasing this, but I'm going to say the first podcast of March, we are guaranteeing our listeners. First podcast of March, I'll forget I said this. We will do if where the Nets are currently positioned. We will do what is the best matchup for the Nets in round one. Who. Could they throw the biggest threat at? That'll be in the March podcast. So wow. keep listening. Lots uh, to look forward to. Um, five five happy, stars. Happy belated five uh, Valentine's Day. Baby.
1: <laughs> happy belated five stars to everybody. Yeah, five um. stars.
0: One need and we have to have them iTunes. Thank you for all your ratings. We have nineteen hundred followers on Twitter. If we get to two thousand, Brian will walk across the Brooklyn Bridge naked. Thank you all for listening.
1: Bye, everybody. Yeah, boy. Yeah.